Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westman demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris. And I'm here with my older brother. Vivesley. Good one. I did not see that coming. If you're a good Vivich, no one ever sees you coming. Explain. What good are you as a Vivich if people see you coming from way off? (laughs) Today we're discussing a movie from 2015. Can we just call it The Witch, please? (laughs) Why is it stylized to be V-V-I-T-C-H? Because at the time when the movie was set, which is Plymouth, 1630s, the character W wasn't in wide use. Oh, so you used the double character V? I guess technically a W, as it were, Bulgari. Or Traverches. I mean, it's generic, so I suppose to stylize it to Vivich makes it cool. But it also has the subtitle, A New England Folktale. Yep. Which I'm not sure made it to screen. You're right. I don't think it's ever on the screen. But boy, is this a New England folktale. Weren't nothing modern about this. I wouldn't say that this movie is, it's not really stylized. It's about as stylistic as Puritans can be. Well, yeah. The Puritans weren't exactly known for being outwardly styled. Yep. You know, I had a bizarre conversation the other day. The person dove into this whole diatribe about how we as Americans can't say that we're fine, whereas in theistic cultures, people will say, thank God. And yet here in America, we have to always be in distress. And he was relating it to our puritanical roots, where we were always, I don't know, making up for or atoning for our sins. And I was like, whoa, what just happened here? Uh, That's the most interesting conversation I've ever heard about our puritanical roots. Because let me tell you, this movie, when it's about God, is tiresome. But isn't that the point? This strict observance of God and religion is so suppressive? I am afraid that that is indeed the point, yes. Okay. So the Puritans, these particular Puritans, this family was banished because they felt that the church was not up enough on the Gospels, right? I think it was mutual, a mutual misunderstanding about how to employ Christianity in their lives. And so from the otherwise pretty straightforward tale of family meets witch, witch tears apart family, quite literally, over time. This movie was more, if there was scary stuff in this movie, it was the horror of a God-fearing life. The horror and the hardships. Right? Because that ground is hard and cold, and you're going to be on your knees all the dang time. 
But this requires a level of faith. This movie, you have to, I mean, Robert Eggers, director Robert Eggers, whom we've discussed multiple times now. I don't know that there is a director that we've covered three films from The Northman to The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse. And now The Vivitch. So that's three films for a single director, which I believe is a record. Or whatever movies loves Robert Eggers. Yeah. Maybe not all of his movies necessarily. But he said that he worked really hard to make you believe, to put you in puritanical New England and to make you believe because otherwise, if you don't have, you know, it's movie belief, your suspension of disbelief. Because if you're not on board with the witch, the witch ain't going to thrill you. It's interesting to me that you can back up what you're saying with facts from Robert Eggers, that he wants you to believe. Because it seemed to me that we are not meant to empathize with this family. We are that the filmmakers kind of keep us out of sympathy and empathy. Like they're so far removed from our experience that we're intended to kind of look in on them as an oddity. Does that make sense? Well, as a conventional movie audience, are we? Are you suggesting we're on the witch's side? <laughs> um, no, it's just that we're not intended to to relate to the family. I, <laughs> I agree, but maybe probably for different reasons. I want to start off by dedicating this episode to the people who provided the closed captions. I think that part of my disregard, kind of, for this movie the first time around was my utter inability to understand anything that anyone was saying. <laughs> and that kept me distant and kept me apart the outside. from the family because I Understandably wasn't, so. I didn't jive with their lingo. Okay. And with the subtitles, with the, the help of subtitles, you were able, closed caption, you were able to track? Absolutely essential. As modern moviegoers, uh, Kelly and I started with the subtitles and then she's like, maybe we could turn them off. And we toggled them off. And then she said, maybe we should turn them back on. <laughs> I mean, I just default to closed captions, so I didn't have this experience. Yeah, but that is not the case. Can you imagine just a lay moviegoer or even kids going to be like, I'm going to go see a scary movie. I'm going to see The Witch and then dropped into the puritanical phrasing? Yeah, I guess so. I didn't realize that these and thys and stuff were really used in common tongue. Like, I thought that was more of a literary thing, but I guess so. Yeah, it, we're on, on the border, obviously, because this is pre-America by about 150 years almost. But still, the thous and the yous, if we're being absolutely technical, were a, a little bit not quite as interchangeable as this movie suggested. They were, uh, mm -hmm. it, it wasn't quite right, is what historians say. Okay. Well, not that I would have known that. <laughs> okay, so language kept me out a little bit and <laughs> and the subtitles overcompensated because everything was eerie music and ominous chorus and farm animal sounds. <laughs> Women's voices rise. Right? And that's how you know when it's scary and when stuff is going to happen, or at least when something is significant. A little bit like Lamb, I was watching this movie and I was relying on the modern movie go movie techniques to tell me when something important was happening. And, and Kelly Ray chimed in and said, every time they show the trees and play ominous music, I just think it's pretty. <laughs> it's like when we enter the stalactite, stalagmite cave in the Calico Mine Ride at Knott's Berry Farm. Right. And the chorus is like, oh, and you're like, wow. Yeah. And then you realize you're just like on a ride in Knott's Berry Farm. 
Oh no! When I was a kid, I definitely believed it. I was like, they have they you dug believe- into the to, into Knott's Mountain and they found these magical fairy pools. Mount Knott's. Yeah, it was a giant <laughs> magic containing mountain. That, that's the reason they built on the site. Uh... For me, it was the bunny. I was like, oh, bunny, and it was cute. Whereas here, it was an ominous, foreboding hair supposed to be. So the <laughs> hair, the bunny. Let me get this right. The bunny, the goat, the pretty woman, the, the scary looking woman, the, witch- the, the hook nosed naked woman. Yeah. Oh, right. And and the women around the bonfire, all witches. Yes. Or or all the witch. Right. I think in a in a Snow White kind of way, the pretty woman was actually the ugly with the old woman. And the goat and the bunny. And the goat and the bunny. But the goat was Satan, right? And so when she compelled the goat, when she asked the goat to speak to her as he had spoken. Black Philip. Yeah. as Or as <laughs> Kelly called him, Black Nathan. Black Nathan. You were trying to figure out which name it was. She said, what was his name? Black Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That was pretty funny. You know, Black Bob. Right. And she asks, <laughs> she implores the goat, speak to me as you spoke to them. And he's like, would you like to taste of butter? But then, you like to live deliciously. So Nathan is 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 she's talking to the goat, Philip, Philip, right? And but then Satan is walking around behind her and putting his gloved hand on her shoulder. Oh, he's he's walking with his boots and touching her with his gloved hand. I can't tell because the goat was Satan, but the witch was the witch, and the witch was also the young witch, but also she's a witch and maybe didn't know it. I'm not. Exactly. She became a witch. Sure? She converted to witchness. I mean, not not consciously or willingly, did she? I mean, by the time you're she in, she signed the book. If you're an impressionable young girl and you're in the presence of Satan and the devil or whatever, and the hand on your shoulder and book placed in front of you, you're gonna say no. I mean, I think she was a little bit out of her depth there, but I'm not. I'm not sure that she was like, I shall embrace mm. this horror that consumed my entire family before my eyes. Well, I mean. I like butter. Yes. It's pretty enticing. Yeah, apparently that butter thing was real, but they it was only for the poor. It was considered indulgent and sinful, but only if you're poor. I guess maybe it was a means to, mm. ju- you know, maybe it was to justify, you know, you got to live simply and frugally or whatever. Okay, if we approach this from the facts, you can say that Thomason approaches Black Philip with curiosity. I think that's fair. And then she is tempted, but really, come on. What options at this point does Thomason have? Her family's obliterated. She's out in the middle of nowhere. And in addition, she has been so oppressed by her religious upbringing that when she's lifted into the air, she's like literally being kind of relieved of the oppression and the chains of what she had experienced for her whole life. Yeah, the contrasting rapture of the, the witches is liberation. Basically, yeah. So not only does she not have another choice, but this seems like a attractive, though damning, uh, opportunity in contrast to what she's experienced her whole life. I don't know. You say liberation, I say a failing on her part. Because, man, number one, she's trusting the devil. Number two, all those witches were naked and hiding in the woods. How is that conducive to, would you like to see the world? How are you going to do that? Where are you going to put your passport? (laughs) Is it on the um, broom? I mean, I think that that's Satan was putting it on a little bit, but that's how Satan tempts Jesus. That's how Satan do. That's what, yeah. <laughs> he takes him to the precipice. He shows him the world. 
right? He says, I can make all of this yours. And that's basically the parallel for okay. what he offers to Thomason. You're the theological component to this podcast, undoubtedly. I am just, I'm taking, treating this on the surface. And I wouldn't trust that witch because F that witch because that witch hurt the dog. You never hurt the dog. That's when you know someone's really bad. Right? Except for Rambo, who had hurt the dog out of necessity because they were mean dogs. But when they yelp, they're not mean dogs. They're sad dogs. You don't hurt the dog. What does she do to the dog? Oh, she guts the dog in the wood because they're hunting? I don't know. I've, I've, I've locked it out. Yeah, you don't mess with dogs. That's messed up. You don't, also don't mess with babies. And that's the card. Like, if you're going to be turned away from the witch man, the witch ate the baby. I don't know that she ate the baby. She did. And then she took a bath in the baby. She caressed the baby and then she bathed herself in its blood. She, like, churned that baby into the butter. How do we know that she ate the baby? Um, apparently, that was a part of the legend is the the reason that witches squirrel away children is so that they can consume them, which better enables their broom flying abilities. No joke. Wait, their, their broom flying ability? Well, I thought that's what made their, them young. Their ability to fly is, I mean, the fuel for witch flight is baby. You're pulling my this leg. This is what, I, what I'm hearing. Who knows, This is the man? lore? Because you either believe... <laughs> yeah, the lore. Um, but wait, 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 wait. But, but clearly the witch is crony, cronish. Yes. Is crony or cronish? That Neither of these words have ever been tested. I think we can go with either. Clearly the witch is a crone. Yep. And then, if it's the same witch, she reveals herself as being young and voluptuous and attractive. Correct? Except for the arm. Gotta hide that witch arm. Because that's just for she the viewers, arm? not for Caleb. Oh, oh, the creepy arm that comes in from out of frame? Yeah. It's a good thing that <laughs> Caleb didn't survive. Because that the witch, when she was embosomed, that was going to mess with him psychologically. That was going to mess up his sex life in adulthood. Okay, well, he was already going down the wrong path. Because he was, like, fetishizing and fantasizing about his sister. I mean, look, I'm not condoning. I'm not saying I can relate. What are you going to do? Did you see Babel? They do the same thing when you're a child. I mean, part of this whole thing, the resistance, was their worry about Thomason embracing her adulthood and sexuality and stuff. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They were going to take her to town and basically sell her off. Yeah, make her part of a different family. And at the end, Mom accuses her outright of using her feminine wiles against her dad and against Caleb. <sighs> Whether that's I, that didn't seem founded, that seemed like it came from jealousy or it came from just just from the fact that she was a developing young woman. Anyway, Caleb was I'm not saying I blame Caleb, but he's experiencing his own sexual maturation. He doesn't have a lot of places to direct it, but he's already fantasizing about his sister. And then the witch takes him to her bosom. And I'm assuming that they did it. And I was assuming that the witch was going to have like a witch baby. <laughs> But then there were just other witches. Is Caleb capable of producing witch baby? I mean, probably, but it didn't go that way. So it's neither here nor there. But I wanted to point out some kind of theme that's happening, whether whether we knew, <laughs> knew it or not, in our Halloween programming for or, at or whatever movies, all in which witches take the life force from children or babies <laughs> to become young again. I mean, maybe this is just a witch trope. Yep, I think so. Or like so. a witch fact. But um, is, is it weird that all three of these seemingly disparate movies all have this same connection? 
if it if that's the case, I think it's coincidence for us. But isn't that the witch's, <clears throat> aka a woman's primary desire is everlasting youth? All of these creatures, monsters in popular lore, as old as they are, play on our base instinctual horrors. It's vampires and Draculas and Frankensteins and ghosts and witches. And zombies. Yeah, well, zombies a little bit later. They play on this idea of eternal life being a horror? Um, Just the horror, the things that people will, the lengths that they will go to to stay alive. Right. And the afterlife, the undead life is a desecrated life. Right. And the irony being that they basically look dead anyway. Until they take the life force from little children yeah, and babies. The old witch didn't look altogether vibrant, although she can put it on. When she becomes embosomed, she really has it down. Good makeup. <laughs> but still slinky and scary. Like, why can't she just act normal and puritanical? I don't know. Because that's not what Caleb was looking for? Yeah, he wants Red Riding Hood. <laughs> Caleb wanted the slinky? <laughs> Anyway, I just thought that was interesting because though not witches, the... Yeah, I know. I guess they were witches in Skeleton Key, which is a witch and warlock couple. They're conjurers, man. So the dad, played by the amazing Ralph Ineson. We love him. I love him. From the Green Knight. Anya Taylor-Joy, good. Actually, Caleb, this Caleb kid wasn't terrible. I mean, he was a little kid, but his like rapturous death scene was pretty intense. Really intense. And I thought he was good. The other twins were shining level creepy or whatever. Very creepy. I very much enjoyed the acting for the most part in this movie, as indecipherable as they were. The mom was great. Uh, I didn't understand what they were saying. They sort of weren't blind. I mean, it was almost like a puritanical whodunit. We didn't know who the witch was or what was happening or who they were coming after next, but... We knew, right, that they were going to get picked off one by one. And Dad wasn't blind to the whole situation. I think you kind of know when you're in puritanical society that your chances of losing at least one kid of your family are pretty good. That's why you stack the deck. And that's why you have five kids. Right. And, and also for farm help. But why didn't the dad kill Black Nathan to begin with? Black Philip? Yeah. <laughs> because they were already pretty hard up. When the, when the witch kills all the animals, that's like the final death stroke. Yeah. Like when the corn goes bad, that's like the death knell. And when the, kit, when the animals are all slaughtered, that's the death stroke. Yeah, then you just have goat stew a little bit earlier than anticipated. You can't, no, you can't just kill the goat. You're counting on it for milk and for, and, it, and I think Black Nathan was like the sire to like help build the goat flock. It was a male goat. How much milk you getting out of them? Okay, so you're not getting milk from Black Phillip, but you're getting babies. From the other goats. Yeah, the, the goat has to be like the sire goat. Okay, the stud. And so you can't just go killing off your, exactly, you can't go killing off your basically only inventory. Yeah, but if, if it's decimating your employees, maybe you take the hit. I'm just saying it wasn't a practical decision for him to proactively do away with Black Phillip. But in hindsight... Yeah, probably would have been wise, but I don't know that it would have eradicated the curse. I think they were pretty much pretty pretty well done in from the moment we see the wagon rattling down that forlorn looking path. All tottery and stuff. And like, how are they going to make it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) All frontiersy and them like hanging off the back and stuff. So curse is an interesting word. He said, I have not damned my family. Did he? Well, I think that is Dad's arc. What's his name? Ralph Ineson, father. 
<laughs> William. I think that's William's arc because when he stands trial or whatever that was prior to the families leaving the community, he was pretty proud and pretty self-justified. That's him getting kicked out of the HOA. And then maybe he realized, maybe he thinks he loses faith that he was in the right, that he thinks that maybe his pride or some other undisclosed sin was damning his family. I think his pride starts to really break down. And if he, and if he had a sin, if, he, if there was a surface sin for us to point out, it would have been pride. Okay. So hubris leads him out into the jungle or whatever, or on the, the outskirts. And then as a result of his actions or thinking that he knows the gospel and has a better understanding or a different understanding than his peers, he can take his family out and thus are they targeted and subjected to these theological horrors or whatever? Is it like a crisis of faith or are they simply the lame animals on the edge of the flock that the predators take first? Like were they selected or were they just kind of the only options? Right. Near at hand and have a witch potential daughter. I think more of the latter. I think they're more like the lame, the vulnerable. I think they were vulnerable to the witch, but it sounds like maybe it was his sin of pride and a family sin that he passed down to his children that made them truly susceptible. I guess it's yes and both. I think if there was truth and feeling in this movie, it was the family dynamic. And poor mom is having a tough time. But already they question their decision. It's uncertain. The kids are kind of left to their own devices and stuff and, and had an awful lot of time to play around a dangerous river and junk. But, you know, they very much wanted to be a family and, and tried really hard and mourned each subsequent loss of a family member and stuff pretty much down to the very end. Uh, so I wondered if it was their punishment, if this was the God that they feared rearing its ugly head or, you know, the satanic component of God and if they earned it. Because they seemed well enough intentioned. This wasn't the horror movie where the parents are also part of the horror. You know, he might have steered them down the wrong rutted dirt path or whatever, but he wasn't, uh, neither of the parents, I think, I don't think were bad. I don't think so either. I think they were kind of doing what they could, surviving in a colonial kind of sense. You can see all the trappings, the paranoia, the catch-22, the impossible nature of determining if someone's a witch. What are you going to do? Yo, no, it's absolutely terrible. What are you going to do? I mean, at least we knew when we saw this witch that that witch was the witch. Which witch, which is the witch? <laughs> the witch. <laughs> there were multiple incarnations. The The poster, the, the key art says evil takes many forms. I'm not sure. That, right. And so there's a singular evil that seems to suggest. And I'm not sure that the young witch and the old witch and the goat Satan witch were the, all different. I think I feel like they were all part of this, just a, this aggregate evil. And I wasn't sure that there were multiple identities of evil until the coven is singing and dancing around the fire. Mm. There were some disparate images we have to get around eventually to Robert Eggers's utterly bleak storytelling and how sometimes that works really well. I feel like I liked the witch better than I liked the Northman, but it wasn't terribly clear and it wasn't it also wasn't as surreal as the lighthouse, which I felt was much more of a mood and was more gripping. I wouldn't say that this was this movie was scary. It had its ominous 
stuff or whatever. And you know me, it seemed, it seemed like it would be perfectly in line. Like this is a kind of a cinephiles horror movie and I would be all into the natural lighting and I love the actors and I liked the performances that they gave. And it's not in your face, it's not like necessarily gory and it's not certainly not full of jump scares or anything. The only time that Kelly Ray jumped was when Philip bum rushes the dad or horn rushes oh. the dad. And, um, oh man, he's gored. Yeah. But how do you gore him with those wildly curved horns? The angle was not conducive to goring, but uh, apparently it's true. Philip, he might've been Philip because that might've been the goat's name, but Philip was apparently an untrainable asshole. Like the horses were fine and all the other livestock was fine. Even the kids were fine, but that goat didn't want to play ball. When the goat is like ramming the dad, I don't think that was scripted. Like, actually, I think that was just the goat (gasps) totally acting up and they got it on film and they're using it. What? Philip was a punk. They got that great shot of him rearing and acting up. But I don't think you think Ralph Ineson was literally rammed. I think no, maybe not the ramming scene, because that seems staged in the way that it was uh, cut. But Robert Eggers said that. This was his first feature, and he had done some shorts, and uh, he said that the goat was the worst experience, like way worse than he could have possibly (laughs) imagined, because Philip apparently was actually evil. (laughs) I mean, you can tell when he's giving you that look in the barn that he's up to no good. I projected a lot. Goats have the worst eyes. The goat eyes are the freakiest. Like square pupils. I don't know. I don't like the um. I don't like the way they breathe. When he's sitting there breathing all heavy, it's all it's very gozery. <laughs> kind of huffy. Yes, it's like you're just sitting there. Why are you breathing so hard? So let's get into it. Today is a Thursday. Why are we recording the Vivich on a Thursday? Weren't we supposed to record this on Monday? Yeah, we discussed it on Friday with the intention of us watching it over the weekend to record on Monday. And you were like, oh yeah. Totally. (laughs) For two consecutive nights, I fell asleep watching The Witch. But it was so scary. And I finished it last night. It's atmospheric. It's scary. I don't know, man. I was like, when she turns around and she's like, which I don't know why she's laughing. But then I rewound it and watched it again. And it was like, she's just laughing. Why are we so scared? Exactly. It's just witch butt. Why are we scared? What was she doing to that goat? I don't know. Cooking it. Oh, humping it. I don't know. It sounded like she was milking it because it was. they were like wet sounds. How did it get in there? How did the witch get in there? Didn't make sense. Well, how did the witch uh, snap up Samuel? She Do, just does. Like she didn't have a blanket and she was all naked and shivery. Like she doesn't take care of herself, this witch. No wonder she's a witch. <laughs> Bad hygiene le- leads to witchcraft. Right? <clears throat> Drive you insane. I'm, I'm going to go with wasn't scary, man. Neither the first time nor the second time. It was just religious freakiness, and if none of that bothers you, it's kind of just a goat in natural lighting in a th- like a, a thatched straw hut house. But uh, there were some truths in the witch. This is definitely, that's how you put a little sister in her place, is through fear and intimidation. When Thomason backs down the punk-ass kid by uh, admitting that she's the witch. Oh, and then she... That's how you put a little sister in her place. <laughs> and then she terrifies them. Which didn't help her case in the end, but in the moment, pretty effective. I don't know. Was it foreshadowing or was it just luck that circumstance, that's how it came to pass? I think it was foreshadowing a little bit, right? That she wasn't completely opposed. Sure. And that she would use witchery to her advantage. So I think the witch, despite what Robert Eggers might say about this film, I think his intentions come through. 
I had read that he felt like he what was in his mind didn't fully translate to the screen in The Witch, but something comes through. It's very naturalistic. It's very grounded. It's atmospheric. It's not necessarily scary, but it's certainly creepy. I mean, it certainly raises some questions, but that's no different than The Lighthouse or The Northman. I would probably venture to give The Witch a good. Eh, I'm going to give it a little bit below the line. I hadn't seen The Witch since its theatrical release. I did enjoy it more this time around because I can understand what they were saying. I was a little bit better in Ralph Ineson and, and Taylor Joy. They were both a little bit more in my orbit. But I was looking for, because it was, like you said, grounded and realistic. And much of the supernatural elements happen off screen. The baby disappears. How did it happen? We don't know. No real CG. I'm sure they hauled her up like with clotheslines at the end, and that's how she flew. The barn got destroyed. Somehow that happened. We didn't see it. Uh, The witch was in the barn, and how did the witch get in the barn? I don't know. But otherwise, it was, you know, sort of natural light and stuff. And it was like, okay, kids, now here's the part where you lay down and you pitch a fit, and we'll film it. And... You got to be on board, man. You got to believe in maybe not in the witchcraft necessarily, although the family certainly did. <laughs> I mean, I didn't believe neither in the witchcraft or in the stagecraft or whatever. It was it, I understand what he was trying to do, but hardly a scary movie for scary Halloween season or whatever movies 2022. And your official rating is whatever, whatever then, whatever now. You mean Vav editor? Yeah. <laughs> do, do it again. I didn't see that one coming. (laughs) And that's our discussion on The Witch from 2015, Robert Eggers' first feature film. Check out our other discussions on Robert Eggers' films, including The Lighthouse and The Northman, available now at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. In addition to our other Halloween 2022 fair, follow us on social media at orwhatevermovies or get in touch, 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Happy Halloween season, and we'll see you next time. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the rock podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock fan like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, the interview. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.